Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This is Garden Chat number five. My name is Andrea Mansourian. I'm one of the collaborators for Bright Garden Voices. Um, we'll just give it a couple more. Uh, I'll give it another minute just to see how many more people join. Today, our guest is Sevil Suleimanov. Um, I will have her kind of introduce herself. We got a lot of good questions today. Okay. Okay. So why don't I? What was that? Okay. I I thought I wanted to introduce myself, or maybe we are waiting for one minute. Yeah, yeah. We can wait one more second. Um, did you say okay. you wanted to introduce yourself or no? Uh, yeah, but we can wait and later. On. Sure, sure. We can okay. just give it another minute, and then you can start. Um, you can introduce yourself, and then we'll get started with the questions. Okay. So again, this is a uh, garden chat number five for everyone that's joining. My name is Andrea. This is Savil. Okay. Why don't you uh, go ahead then? Okay. Uh, hi everyone. I'm Sevisli Manova uh, from Azerbaijan. Uh, I uh, was born in Russia, but my family is uh, from uh, Kesalar, Kojala. It's uh, it's part of Kojalu, um, and they lived in uh, Bashkent. It is a village of Kesala. It is it uh, used to be an Azerbaijani village, and my family uh, left uh, this village in 1992 when the things uh, started to go worse. And I lived in an IDP settlement for 16 years till I uh, entered university. And um, after that, I have been part of a bit of civil society, and uh, now I am uh, like I'm not working, but I am advocating for peace in this area, and I am studying international relations in Poland at Mary Curie Skłodowska University. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's all for now. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. So why don't I start with the questions right now? Um, for those who okay. are joining, again, this is Garden Chat number five, and this is uh, Seville, our guest today, and my name is Andrea. So the first question uh, is, tell us a bit about, you, you just gave a little bit of a background, but maybe go more into detail about your family's background. Uh, you were born to a family of IDPs from Karabakh. Can you describe the circumstances and the experience of leaving uh, Karabakh? Okay, uh, so... Um... I wanted to give a bit of background differently for my mom and dad. Uh, so my mom uh, worked in a silk factory um, in the city uh, uh, in Candy, Stepan Akert, in this area. And uh, she was working there till 1988. And she, she left uh, this factory because of the escalation of the events. Like uh, when the demonstration started, uh, she said that there was a lot of tension in the factory and they didn't feel secure. So she left the factory and she started to work in another factory where she worked as a tailor. It like happened uh, in 1989, and my dad uh, actually also worked in this sick factory. He went to the uh, army for two years, 1984 and 1986. Then he um, came back again and he worked in the lamp factory. 
and how things started in 1988 uh, the road was uh, blocked uh, to the city to Hankindis and uh, so they could not go to the city so they were traveling to, uh, from Shusha Akdam way the road and my dad says that it was uh, really dangerous at that time he was like uh, chased by uh, Armenians back then in in Khankadistipalakir uh, when he was in the city she just he just ran to the soviet soldiers so they uh, kind of saved him and uh, but they always say that they didn't feel anything bad before the escalation of the events um, so after the escalation of the event, they, all, uh, they were kind of in blockade, but uh, they said that they didn't feel anything bad or like they didn't, uh, I mean, it, it, they were still in blockade, but there were not fights. And things started to become worse in 1991. Uh, the area Kerkichahan uh, uh, was uh, taken by Armenians and people in the city were also kind of uh, leaving the city. And after this happened, uh, the posts have been made, I mean the army posts in 1991. And they say that it is a, a real turn of the event when the fights started in, in their village in Kosovar. So they uh, started to, like, uh, the first person died in this area. And it was like 1992, uh, 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 they started to leave after Khojala was taken by Armenia, uh, the main city that's close to the, their village. Uh, my mom left in, uh, in, in the March of 1992 to Akdam, but uh, the men in the village, they stayed there. So uh, they were fighting um, in the posts, but after Shusha was uh, again was uh, taken by Armenia in 1992, in 8th of May, uh, my uh, dad left Kosovar as well. On 9th of May, they left after Shusha, but the road was taken the own road, Shusha Agdam. Uh, it was uh, they were in blockade, so my dad says that they left the city uh, in a very uh, the village in a very bad way from uh, in in the mountainous area. It was um, like uh, it was snow, very bad road. They ran through mountains and came to Akdam. Then. Uh, actually, uh, many people died, like their friends, their neighbors. Uh, they died um, when fights were taking place in this area. And uh, my dad says that two women were left as hostages in this area. And uh, one of uh, their uh, relatives, I mean, it's not my close relatives, but far relative, uh, their whole, uh, his whole family was uh, killed in front of him. I mean, they were shot. Like his his um, wife, his uh, daughter, his son, his like daughter-in-law, uh, and they even made uh, him to uh, bury them like by himself, and he was like taken a hostage for six months, and. Uh, my uncle uh, and my uh, like his wa his wife uh, uh, were also the main victims of this uh, massacre in Hojala. Uh, my uncle was taken as a hostage for around three or five days. Like uh, he was beaten and tortured, and the uh, the scars of the torture still remain. And uh, this is. Um, 
he had a friend there, like Armenian friend, but he he says that he could not help him, and how he uh, survived. I mean, how he left the the hostage situation is really interesting. Like uh, he heard that uh, Armenians don't kill uh, the people who has children, and then there was a woman who has a child. And he took a child from this woman, said that give it, give the child to me, I will keep it. And he told the Armenians that he lost all his family. So this is the only child that he has. So they let him be free. And my... Uh, um, uh, my uncle's wife, she is even in the videos, I mean the f footages as well, like uh, she took her daughter and her uh, sister's daughter with her, like her sister's daughter was shot and her son actually uh, was taken by her sister and her, sister, uh, her son was taken from one, to one uh, person to another in diff with different people and her son went to another village where they are not, and it, it was very um, snowy and cold days, you know, like it was 26th of February, and her son also froze to death, like when they uh, went to see their son, and it was like already late, and the child died that time, and then my mom, uh, my mom and dad fled uh, to Akdam, and they didn't stay there in 1992. Back then, uh, they say that different parts of Azerbaijan, far from these areas, were taking, uh, were accepting IDPs, actually. So, uh, they went to Göçay. Göçay was taking refugees from uh, IDPs, I mean, from uh, Bashkent. So, they went to Göçay, but they didn't live in proper houses. They, uh, they lived in um, schools, they lived in dormitories, uh, like people uh, in these places. And my dad says that we were sleeping with rats uh, together. It was a really, really bad station. Then um, the people who are in charge of the station, they came and saw their station and agreed that they can live in IDP settlement in Hajkand. Uh, so this is a funny place actually because uh, this place used to be a pioneer um, place like pioneers in USSR time came for summer camps there so it was this place uh, was meant for pioneers but during uh, the turn of events they were sent to this area and this is how they started to live in this area thank you that's thank it thank you that was a uh... A lot of information. Thank you very much. Just quickly before I continue, <clears throat> we've had a few people join us. Again, this is Garden Chat number five. This is Savio. She's sharing her experiences growing up under a, in an IDP family. So our next question um, is, how did being an IDP impact your childhood? Well, actually, I've thought about this question a lot. Um, because... Um, I saw families who lived in wagons, um, like in the trailers of the um, trains, in a very bad station. Uh, like they were one uh, village far from us, and it was really um, warm in summer. It was really cold in winter, uh, and I saw that I was more lucky than other IDP children. Uh, I don't know. Uh, 
uh, it is special to me or not because in 1990 many children uh, didn't have proper facility you know like everyone was suffering uh, because of the war uh, but I know that uh, definitely I would live in better conditions because my dad and my mom left their uh, father houses like they furnished this house just before the war started they lost uh, their four-room house they lost everything furniture etc I remember that my mom says even uh, uh, her brother left the lock like locked their uh, house that uh, thought that they are going to be back uh, but they didn't go back, like they never went back. So I, I, uh, I definitely believe that I would live in better conditions because the place I lived in this IDP settlement was really uh, not good, like it had horrible conditions. We didn't have drinking water back then, so we would go like 20 minutes on foot to bring uh, drinking water, and it was only in summer. like. Our water would always be, uh, be, um, I'd say like it was uh, um, uh, in a bad station when it was raining, and we didn't have any sewage system, uh, but it was mainly every, everywhere in rural areas, and the area was really not nice. It was like uh, all all the time it was foggy. All the time it was uh, raining, and the uh, school was also not good. I mean, I don't know if it can be called school or not. And when I go back to those areas, now we are not there, but the 2014 government uh, gave a new settlement to us. And I don't know how, uh, <laughs> when I went back, and sometimes I lived in uh, Bakur in better houses, and I look back and remember the house, and I, I, f I think to myself that uh, how I could live in this in these circumstances and in these houses. When you are a child or when do you don't see better conditions because you don't uh, judge your uh, your station but when you grow up and look at different perspective you think differently and uh, of course uh, the the another thing is to live with stereotypes like i remember that local people who lived in uh, um, a bit far from us they would always uh, judge us like oh, you are um, you are cowards, you run, uh, you run from your city place while you are here. And, um, and these stereotypes were not really nice because they would also uh, be jealous of some stuff. The like government uh, gave us some privileges related to utilities and they would always um, you know, uh, uh, say nagging about this stuff. Yeah, this is all I can remember, but I do believe that uh, still I uh, I was more privileged than other uh, IDP children because there were others who lived in far worse conditions. Thank you. Uh, so the next one, uh, what has been or how has been uh, being an IDP influenced your life? Um, and how does it how has it influenced the way you see the world in general 
Yeah, I don't like uh, to romanticize uh, things when I talk about uh, conflict and being an IDP. Uh, when uh, whenever this question is asked to me, the first thing I remember is about house, like uh, the notion of home. Uh, I think uh, I kind of lost uh, the notion about it because uh, uh, you always uh, move, change houses, and uh, you know uh, from one place to another, and none of them are really yours. So you always think that you will go to your real house one day because this is this is all what you hear yeah every day from TV from everyone from politicians that you will go one day and I think uh, I kind of lost the notion of belonging and the notion of home uh, this is the first thing that I can say and second thing I think uh, being an IDP is really hard. Uh, I don't know if others feel the same as me. It's it seems like a burden for me because uh, you are always in the center of propaganda. You are always in the center of politics, and you. F I feel like uh, everything. Uh, like my situation is politi uh, politicized, and people are dying. People are losing their children because of my situation. And uh, I feel this burden, like, on my shoulders, like, why uh, these people should die because of my station, or why it is being politicized uh, for some politicians, you know, to raise their status or to gain status from the, from the nations, I mean, from uh, two sides. And thirdly, I think it is uh, probably just for everyone in both Armenian and Azerbaijan, yes. Uh, you are not thinking of it every day consciously, but subconsciously in your subconscious mind, you are always afraid of war. You know, like every day, every every second, you think that something can happen and uh, some again the war will start or some people will die. I think both nations, I mean both young people can say the uh, same feeling. They can have the same feeling. Um, and lastly, but not least, I think, I mean, probably it made me more empathetic um, towards other people, probably who are living conflicts or who are living in worse situations, I think. Uh, I, I, I can feel more empathy in these situations towards other people that they, they won't leave the same situations that we lived. Yeah. This is all I can say now. Thank you. Um, you kind of addressed a little bit in that last question, but maybe we can talk more about what is your opinion of the conflict itself, uh, the Harabakh conflict, and have your views changed through time? Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Firstly, uh, like uh, I want to say about my opinions, that I, like how my opinion have changed. Mm -hmm. Like uh, as far as I remember, uh, I I I have never been a person who 
who was like full of hatred like i would never kill a person like okay everyone can kill in some stations uh, if they are i mean in some psychological state of course for self defense but uh, even when i was shot i would never think of killing anyone i don't remember saying such thing but i remember that uh, i would always say that you can uh, not trust armenians like i was not liking because uh, of course I was from there and I was a kind of a part of propaganda machine every day my teachers like everywhere um, school tv everyone was saying about it but when I left for the university at 16 uh I kind of left my social bubble so it it was isolated area and when I started to live in Baku I didn't uh, I started to see other people I started to take care of myself and I started to be less egoistical and more empath- empathetical and in, during university I was more individualistic uh, I I mean I could look at the things from different perspective because when you are in one place for too long you cannot look at things objectively you are looking at them subjectively so uh, during university uh, studying there and looking at politics and uh, stations from a different perspectives have changed my view uh, i became more empathetic and more peace loving and later on when i joined also uh, Uh, civil uh, society i mean the events the trainings i also uh, saw many uh, uh, armenians and i even lived with them in dormitories uh, it was not of course uh, in azerbaijan or in armenia but it was still you know uh, helped me to break the eyes although most of these people became warmongers unfortunately during the second uh, second war but still it helped me to break the ice a bit and my views changed especially after this and um and what has also changed my opinion like in 2016 uh there was this four days war uh probably you remember they call it april's war and uh, at that time uh, a lot of i mean some soldiers were killed and it was the first time i felt the uh, war so close for me and back then i understood that um, i don't want this uh, people uh, now i think that no land is no land is uh, much more precious than a human's life and uh, ab- uh about my view of conflict uh, uh i think um uh, if we look at conflict we should look at before 1988 because it started uh, uh at the beginning of uh i mean 20th century in 1905 there have been clashes between both nations and uh both nations did horrible things to us i read in a book like what armenians did to us and what we did to armenians 
and both nations did horrible things to us and um, this was never worked on so we became independent Armenia became these three nations became independent then Soviet uh, Empire came back I mean uh, USSR came back again and we went uh, we uh, none of the nations worked on it because they taught us brotherhood and I remember that uh, my great grandfather uh, was part of uh, uh, first independent Azerbaijani Republic in 1918. Uh, he was killing Armenians, and uh, it, it, it was never stopped. So he was teaching to, uh, like, he was telling about it to his children as well, to my uh, grandmother and etc. And now the conflict started. I think uh, when we look at the conflict, I am not a, a peace peace builder or a conflict specialist. I don't. I cannot say how it can be solved. But what I think of the conflict, it's like uh, is a, it's a comp. We cannot. We cannot. If we look at the conflict, we have to look at the. Uh, both nations and uh, how they can live together. I think uh, the start of it was stupid. It has uh, something else should be done. Um, but what I think about conflict is that uh, I do believe that it should have been solved uh, beforehand, uh, like during 90s, even before the start of the 20th century. Now uh, we are uh, kind of doomed because more generations, uh, even who didn't see each other, they are full of hatred. And I think uh, that is this conflict is kind of a bit at the end of the road. It's uh, I don't know how it is. It will be solved, but. I think uh, it's not it's uh, this conflict is not good for the development of Caucasus, and uh, if we uh, and it all blockades both the development of Azerbaijan and Armenia. If you look at the stations, and it also affects the human capital of both countries, uh, and even we look at is. Station beforehand, we saw that uh, people live together, and I do believe that something uh, can be done uh, again to bring these people. I don't know what, but I don't like this conflict, and I hope that it will be solved very soon so I can also remove the burdens on my shoulders. Yeah, well, let's. Let's try to talk about something more, a little more positive then. Let's talk about... Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Um, my next question for you is, does your family ever share or have any memories of coexistence with Armenia in Harabakh? Okay. So, um, to be honest, uh, yeah, I have always asked them about it, but uh, they lived in a very isolated village. And it was totally uh, Azerbaijani village. They didn't live together with Armenians. But uh, my mom says that, uh, I mean, she worked in a factory, uh, in an Armenian factory. She said that uh, they didn't have uh, any problems with Armenians. 
uh, before things started and they don't have a clue how this thing started and why this thing started they never know and she said that it just suddenly started and he said we never had problems she doesn't she didn't have a close uh, armenian friend but she says that when she was working they would always eat together with armenians and there was no problems and uh, there were two shifts and one shift was um, at night and she was she was telling to me that she would always come at 11 12 from the city and she would never feel insecure that something can be done by Armenians to them. She was feeling totally secure and nobody could think of uh, this type of thing that would happen at that time. And my dad lived in the city and uh, it was... Um, she did, he didn't have any problems as well with Armenians and he is telling me that even uh, they were together with Armenians in the army and um, during two years they were close and uh, he said we would all even share what we have with each other like if I had a bread I would always give half to my Armenian, uh, Armenian soldiers and Armenian soldiers would do the same to me I mean, we are talking about two years before things started, like 1984 and 1986. And uh, my, uh, my grandfather had a very close Armenian uh, doctor that uh, once a, a person, like a woman from the v a village, got, uh, got sick, and this doctor was very, very smart and popular one in the city, and he couldn't, he wouldn't come. Like they were uh, calling him, they were telling him to come to the village for this woman, but he he wouldn't come. So only my grandfather called him, and with one word of my grandfather, he came to see to this this woman. So and other people as well. They had uh, some close Armenian uh, families, as they could visit each other. They would come to uh, their houses from the city uh, or from the village. They would go to their houses in the city. Uh, all they say that they would never think of uh, anything bad that could happen. That's that's what I can say about it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my next question is, is, uh, let me see. I think I actually skipped one question for you. Let me ask you this one before I continue. Um, is your, is yours and your family's background from Harabakh still part of your identity today and how? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, if you ask me this question, probably... I don't know, when I was at school, uh, I wouldn't know. I would uh, get confused and probably I would say no. But um, after, as I said, like I feel like it's kind of my burden and uh, I see that everything in Caucasus happens around this conflict, whatever decision is made. I, I always now I feel uh, that it's part of my identity. Like, I can never escape it wherever I go. Why I think so? Because, first of all, about the house thing. So, uh, I feel like there's a house there that I have. 
even if I have not, not been there for long because it's like like a father house and it has some memory that's why and secondly why I feel it's part of my identity uh, because of solving the conflict I think uh, it should be part of my identity because I uh, I am uh, responsible to to solve this conflict. I am one of uh, young generation, and I have the power to change the views about the conflict. Even if I am not going to be activist or if I am not going to work in the peace field. I can change the views of the people who I meet and this is what is my responsibility and I have to keep it as part of my identity to bring peace to to the conflict or to the people around me so maybe in the future um the students I taught last year uh english like they were first grade second grade so in the future if i do it properly in the future probably they would cherish and prosper their lives and they wouldn't give their lives to those lands so that's what i think yeah about my identity and how to contribute to it thank you that was lovely Um so my next question then is now you've been involved in women's rights um women's rights activism in Azerbaijan could you share a little bit about this Yeah okay and uh firstly I was telling it to Darda as well. <laughs> like I don't uh, I don't consider myself an activist because the other girls are like they are really doing amazing things and terrible things like really good things in Azerbaijan like a group a group of girls uh for I w- I joined uh, firstly civil society with women empowerment because uh, at that time I was not feeling good and I was depressed and I thought that I need to be stronger as women and I joined to empower myself in women rights and in the different fields uh, at that uh time after this training i went to georgia and uh, with what i learned from there i came to azerbaijan and i uh, organized a training on gender and lgbt plus rights uh with a video t- based training the participant uh, learned about video shooting i mean shooting and making a documentary uh they shot a documentary about early marriages and um an lgbt rights in azerbaijan it was a lovely demonstration at that time but uh, later on uh, rallies like real demonstrations started and uh, it was like 2018 uh, the first one was organized on 8 march and uh, the uh, the reason why i joined that rally it was because i saw many feminicides were being happening and we were uh, kind of oppressed and we couldn't say our like we couldn't raise our voices to those stations and i thought that maybe we should say uh, no 
we should we should raise our voice really and that's why i joined and also i joined because i i was kind of uh, uh angry at police and i said that <laughs> i should do something towards against the police as well back that time and since then i have joined like all of them unfortunately the last one 2021 was not Uh, successful because there were many police and due to corona many people didn't join i want to say that how it affected me uh, uh this rallies and uh, just generally because i have done other stuff right, in human rights in ecology as well general activism like uh, this uh, affected me in in this way that uh, i want to join uh, i mean i'm around the combine my future career with women's rights whatever i do i will add uh, a bit of women's rights issues uh, in my career and in the future i want to be uh, a person like a career specialist in increasing uh, women's employability especially in the rural areas who knows maybe i will come to uh, areas conflict striking areas and work for this woman and increase their employability time will show thank you thank you very much um so our next question then is uh let's see oh so feminism nowadays um we've talked a lot about intersectionality uh, notions of intersectionality do you see any uh intersectionality in you as a feminist and as an idp and how does that influence uh your perspective yeah i will answer it shortly i think uh this in uh, uh, this is really related to each other how uh first uh, feminism like all types of them are against patriarchy and i do believe that army wars military and uh, all of this are related to wars violence is like they are tools of patriarchy and feminism is against patriarchy so in my view feminism helped me um to understand the tools of patriarchy and to be to look at them in more judgmental way and to be more peaceful and so as i thought that like if, uh, like okay before that i was also more peace loving but after becoming a feminist uh, as a true feminist i can never support war because in this case it means that i am supporting violence as well like if i call myself a feminist and i'm supporting war it means that i'm supporting patriarchy so it can never go along with each other and i really don't understand feminists who are supporting the war because they are not linked to each other and i think uh, feminism can be a great tool is to as well uh, to combat the war in in various ways yeah maybe probably it is a, a answer to the next question i don't know yeah um so our next one was uh do you think feminism can have a role in dialogue between Azerbaijanis and Armenians yeah uh definitely first of all uh how i think it can help uh as i said it's against the war so if if women empowerment 
are uh, widespread, both in Armenia and Azerbaijan. I know that both countries are really poor in women's rights. And if it is uh, much more widespread, then probably many people will be against wars. They would understand how uh, wars fuels patriarchy. And secondly, like moreover, a lot of women, I think, had really uh, suffered from conflicts, both in Armenia and Azerbaijan. And uh, we didn't even hear about their stories. Their, their stories that some people, uh, some women were raped. And it, as it is uh, considered taboo, shame, in Caucasus, no one, no one talks about it, like nobody, even about Azerbaijan. No one talks about it. Uh, like I, I know that there are stories of rape during the first war, and I think if uh, feminist women uh, can work towards this issue, uh, we could hear the stories of women uh, who has been raped or who has seen uh, violence during the war, or even from Armenia as well. We could find common stories of women, and we could use the stories towards building peace, because we could see that uh, war brings uh, bad things, like in the same way to both nations, and it could help both nations to feel more empathetical towards each other, seeing that both suffer rather than ignoring. But of course, we have to raise these voices. We have to be a voice of them, for them. And I think this can be done by uh, feminists from Armenia and Azerbaijan. And I, I am sure that uh, if we can uh, empower and give this woman power, uh, they can be even advocates for peace building. Because I believe in the power of feminism and women, and I think that it can be used for dealing with conflicts. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So our next question is, how did the second war affect you and your family? Okay, this can be a bit emotional. <laughs> yeah, because uh, during the war, I was working in in another village, another region of Azerbaijan. I am an English teacher and I was teaching at state school back then. And schools were closed. And my my family lives in Genja. Uh, and my one of my very close friends lives here as well. And during the bombardment of, uh, of the cities of Barda, Genja, I was, uh, I couldn't sleep those days. Like, whenever uh, I heard about bombardment, like, one city is bombarded, I saw that it is, it's my family, it's something happened to them. And my, my friend, he was even living in the city center. And I was calling every day, even it was in the evening, I was crying every day, I was calling them. And I was asking my family to come to my place, but they were insisting that they are not coming. And... Like I was, uh, I was crying. I was depressed. And uh, back then, I was teaching at school, and you know, school, state schools, how they are, like 
they are the center of propaganda and I was telling about peace and everyone was attacking me like how can you talk about peace you are even from uh, conflict striking area you cannot talk about cities you can talk about enemies you can talk about killing and uh, I, it was really hard to fight against this and uh, i at back, back that time i tried to be silent because uh, i could lose like my sanity um and i this really affected me badly now uh, when i think of war because in uh, this year in april in may they said that there will be another war and i was kind of uh, getting panic attacks that uh, maybe there will be another war and whenever now if some people are talking about wars uh, it's like i got i got always panic attacks yeah it was not uh, very easy i'm sure uh, there were worse situations than me i just hope that it will not be repeated again and people will not die for this pieces of land even young people they were even younger than me and uh, i was thinking that uh, why me i mean why not me why them so yeah i i hope that uh, our our governments will not let allow it again i hope they will be smart next time thank you we have just one last question and then we can get to the um questionnaires if anyone has any questions you can go ahead and write it in the uh, Q&A question there's a little tab where it has a question mark so the last one i have for you savir is um what's your expectation for the future of the arabah conflict okay i am a bit skeptical <laughs> and i am not <laughs> i am not very hopeful why i'm not very ho- hopeful i have to say that I saw many people from both sides who were pro peace turned totally pro war and I didn't know how it happened to be honest I had no clue because in the trainings these people were talking about peace yeah we have should have peace we should have uh, soviet and then they were sending us pictures of dead soldiers and they were laughing at it and I was clueless like how it happened and people were would block each other they would say really nasty things about each other even i remember the one girl like uh, from one of the trainings in 2017 she was telling she was telling that she doesn't like karabakh armenians she thinks that yerevan armenians are upper class and then suddenly she also uh, like she didn't care about them and suddenly she started to care about them and when i say them about um one uh, the stories that it happened to us and they would laugh at it at it and the same thing goes from azerbaijani side as well people would laugh at the dead armenian child and i wouldn't i would not understand it how can you be happy about the death of a child or the death of a young person like it's it's not fair that's why this is one of the reasons that i'm not so hopeful uh and it has been so long here 30 years and uh, many people are filled with propaganda even the people who have not seen these areas who have not suffered who have not lived the 90p life uh, and secondly why i am not hopeful because of what i saw in various countries 
uh, during the uh, during the Second War, I saw video footages of uh, Armenians and Azerbaijan attacking each other in various countries, in, in USA, in Poland, in Ukraine, and other countries. I was really shocked because I, I thought that I am not safe in the world. It was the first time for me. Because you go abroad and you can really meet some uh, psycho people who can do anything to you just because of your nationality. And I didn't feel safe for the first time in my life, that I am not safe every, anywhere. Like in my country, war can happen. If I go another place, I can be attacked by some psycho people. It can happen to anyone. And thirdly, this summer, I went to Georgia. Uh, and I was working with uh, um, Armenians and Azerbaijanis. I went to the um, uh, villages where they lived mutually. And then there was an interesting story happened. Like I was, um, I went with, um, with musicians. I was doing the translating of one Caucasus festival. Then there was uh, one old Armenian, like he was really drunk, and he wanted, he, he asked me to come to say hello to Armenian side. And I, I, he was telling in Russian, I didn't understand, but I was, I was getting help for translation. I said, okay, I can go and say hello, it's okay. And then the Azerbaijanis stopped me, and they said that you cannot go and say hello to Armenians. And I said that why uh, I am a free individual, I can go wherever I want. And uh, they said, no, you cannot go. <laughs> uh, and even they separated the benches. So one bench for, was for Azerbaijanis, one bench for the Armenians. And they live together in this village. And I said that we are living together. Your ch children are going to the same school. How can you uh, not let me go there? And they said that, no, you cannot go and you cannot say hello to each other. And then there was another Bajani guy. He says that, I understand you, but if you go there, there will be a fight between these like, two, two nations. And I, I just didn't go there because I didn't want to bring uh, something uh, really bad to the village. And uh, I heard from the villagers that after the war, uh, the people uh, in this village, I mean Armenians, uh, the majority of, uh, was Armenian in this village, and they were pissed off because of the war. But I heard that I am really hopeful it's true. I heard that uh, this only happens in this village called Hojorni. In other villages where they mutually live, they go to each other, they don't have this kind of uh, uh, feeling or discrimination towards each other. I hope that it's true. This is one of the things I'm afraid that if uh, uh, clashes happen between uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan in Georgia, then it can happen in, in, the, in the world, every country, in every country of the world. But, 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 I hear that uh, uh, news, uh, I, I follow what uh, Prime Minister of Armenia, I mean, Niko Pashinyan says, I hear that uh, our government is also uh, wanting a real peace process, and I am really hopeful, but not hopeful. Because we saw that uh, what both governments use this uh, 
conflict as a propaganda tool and for their status. And anything can happen if they want to raise their status again. And here, I think like as an individual, uh, I try my best to raise awareness wherever I go. I don't talk about this conflict as an enemy or friend's perspective. I always tell foreigners or my locals uh, objectively. And I do believe that uh, it is a commonplace for both Armenians and Azerbaijanis, and both have histories there, both have uh, cultures there, and they live together. And we cannot ignore uh, one nation uh, and bring just justice to another nation, yeah? Because justice has two sides. If you are giving justice, you have to give justice uh, for two nations without ignoring one. And here I, I think it lies on the shoulders of us again, because unfortunately our old generation, they were not successful and they left us this conflict. And for not letting future conflict, uh, as young generation, we have to do that. Uh, to be honest, I don't understand and I don't forgive people who are not from Nagorno-Karabakh and who have not suffered anything, feeling so much hatred towards the people they didn't see or from the same, it's the same thing goes from Azerbaijan. Because uh, they, they, grieve, they grieve for the death of the soldiers from both sides, but they want the war. And I think these people share the blood in their hands at the governments. And I don't want to be a person who share, who has the blood of these young people in my hand. And that's why I think as young people, me, you, others, we have to, we have to stop feeling hatred towards each other and raise awareness, raise peace. Because if we say we are towards justice, but we are ignoring each other, we are bad, I am bad, in the future, new people will die. Maybe my relative, my close friend will die. But in that case, I cannot feel sorry because I am also supporting the war. How I can be sorry? I share the same blood. And I think as young people, we should be advocates. Doesn't matter. It can be in small scale. It can be in big, it can be in big scale, anything like this initiative, another, just a small talk. Maybe it will not change the lives of many people, but we can start from the scratch. And I hope that even this collapse, 30 years of uh, peace process, uh, the new generation, like generation, young generation like us, will work towards this issue. And as I said, as I said, like I taught very little kids who are seven years uh, old and I never thought I know many people are still doing I never told them about enemy or etc but like I don't want them as they grow up to die I want them uh, these kids from Armenia and Azerbaijan to really something nice things for their country maybe in the big arena or just to live their lives not to die for their land. Because I think I heard it from a speech once a peace builder. It says that 
you are not you are helping your country when you are not you are alive you are not helping your country you are dead yeah so we have to keep being alive and raise awareness about peace and bring justice to this conflict i think so thank you thank you really thank you very much for all of the wonderful answers um i'm going to go ahead and open to the uh, q&a if anyone has any questions you can go ahead and write it down we are running out of a little bit of time but i have two questions right now one of them actually seems pretty interesting sevia you can also look at the questions yourself um i was looking at the one where it mentions a one caucus festival that you used to work for or you helped out in that uh yeah okay i can read the question it says one caucus festival that used to volunteer for um that brings armenians azerbaijanis and georgians together if you would like would you would you want to answer this question just a second mm-hmm. okay why i have been part of it okay uh first i want to give up information about one caucasus festival like it's uh I think it's really a um, special festival and it gives a special flavor to the Caucasus. It is uh, it's happening in Serakvi uh, every year since 2014 and the main aim is to bring Armenians, Georgians and Azerbaijanis together to show that how coexistence can be done and how uh, can all nations all minorities can live together and they are doing this festival through different like before the festival starts i love it uh, even more than festival like before the festival starts volunteers come together and they live in one uh, school they try different activities workshops it can be anything related to your creativity for example this year i did a workshop on mobile uh, editing i was uh, i was teaching armenian kids about how to edit uh, a cell phone with my uh, partner and it was um, it was really nice because these kids were doing uh, doing really great job and they sent us their pictures and how they edited it and etc and uh, some people are giving art therapies and uh, some people are giving dance shows showing coexistence and everything is about coexistence and the last three days of the festival is music festival and many people come together and see how the people uh, i mean how volunteers uh, are do- what our volunteers are doing here their jobs and etc uh, it can be like a museum and they are uh, seeing the galleries and and the music uh, stands like for three uh, ma- uh, for three days and many people from i mean uh, like from the neighboring uh, villages come there and uh, i think it's really nice uh, because it's uh, why it is really nice first of all it gives job opportunity for some people there like there are people who are working in the kitchen and secondly um which is helping for the kids in Sarakvi to have a wonderful summer uh, because it's kind of a bit rural area of Georgia and i know that as a kid uh, grown up in a rural area not uh, this kind of ha- uh, events not happen often and i am sure that it added 
uh, a nice uh, flavor to their lives. Although this summer we didn't have festival. And why I joined this uh, Van Caucus festival? Um, I wanted to be part of it for uh, for so long uh because uh because i have always wanted to uh to see about the coexistence uh i wanted to come in 2019 but i had to go somewhere else and this year i joined uh fortunately 2021 and uh, it was really amazing and i hope that this festival will continue and uh we'll add more, a lot of colors to the coexistence of uh, three nations thank you that sounds really interesting now i'm curious <laughs> yes you <laughs> should apply <laughs> <laughs> well we have one more question i can ask you um so they said uh, thank you for sharing your story i want to ask more um asking more positive question how was your volunteer experience in georgia kevmo Kart I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, yeah. And she would just want to add that uh, she's very, she wanted to add that you are very strong and um, it's a privilege to get to know you more as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today and hearing my story. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, my volunteering at that time uh, was very limited. <laughs> to COVID-19, we could not have a festival, uh, but um, what, uh, what I actually had really nice about uh, the festival is that I visited many villages uh, of uh, this area, like Akula, Opreti, uh, Hojorni, yes, uh, and others, and I really learned about community development and how Armenians, Georgians, uh, even Greeks, Russians, how they live together and what, they, what kind of problems they have. We could even help them with the benches and with tables in Akula, in Akula Bazaar. And certainly uh, it was my first time to train Armenian kids and it was a really wonderful experience. Um, I mean, they are kids and uh, you have yeah, their brain is like a blank space, so it's it's good that uh, as an Azerbaijani, I uh, I did something nice, and maybe I will be there, I will be in their head as a nice experience. And thirdly, I also was part of uh, training. Uh, I was a COVID a part of COVID campaign, and we traveled through some villages and we helped uh, local people to get vaccinated. Uh, it was also a wonderful experience. And I met a lot of amazing people there. Uh, I hope that many people will join next year one Caucasus and we will have the festival there. And maybe I will see you there too in the, in the future. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think we are um, out of time now just want to say thank you to everyone joining us for another garden chat. This was garden chat number five. Thank you, Savio, for everything, um, for taking your time and joining us for this chat and sharing your backstory back and a lot of the insightful information as well. Really appreciate it. 
thank you for inviting me and I thank you for raising awareness about the conflict and for sharing stories. I am sure that it it may be still not a big impact but I am sure that it is having the small impact and you know all small impacts are drops in oceans. We have to make ocean by the small drops. Exactly. Yeah. Very well said. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you and have a good one. Have a good day. Have a good day. Take Bye -bye. care. You too. Bye.